falls here, right? It's September. It's, uh, it's good news for many. It's hard for me. <laughs> I'm a summer guy. It's like the death of a loved one when we get to have the end of the summer every time. Um, pray with me as we get started here at this new series. Lord God, thank you so much for the chances to come together and worship. Lord, I just want to specifically lift up students and teachers this morning. Lord, we just thank you so much for the people that you've blessed us with, for the students that are coming back into town. Uh, we pray that you would just have your hand over them for those who are going to school, for those who are making the jump maybe to middle school or to high school for the first time. Lord, we pray that you would just be with them. School is a difficult place to be. Lord, there's so much going on. Students are searching for their identity. Lord, we pray that they would find their identity in you and that you would just protect them through all the things that they go through. Lord, go before them. Just carve out a space for them and help them just to discover who they are. And may it be your voice that tells them who they are. And Lord, we lift up teachers, the ones who just work so hard to provide a safe and just learning environment. We pray that you would give them strength as this is just a tough time of year to kind of learn tons of new names, try to figure out which kids need to be taught different ways. Lord, I just pray that you would just have your hand over them, that you would bless them as we return to this school season. In Jesus' name, amen. We are starting a new series this morning called Feeling the Psalms. And we're going to be kind of going through the book of Psalms as we kind of look at a couple different things that I'm not quite clicking. I'm not sure. Um, all right. So, you know, and we're going to ask some questions throughout the series. Like, for one, why does God allow us to feel emotions? Like, why is that a part of our human existence, right? Because I think a lot of times emotions can be good, but a lot of times they feel very out of control. So, like, wh why did God make us emotional beings? What purpose do they serve in God's kingdom are some of the things we're going to kind of talk about. And is it part of being made in the image of God? If so, does God feel emotion? Is that something that God goes through? So we're going to kind of really tackle a lot of things as we look at this series. You know, of course, emotions, emotions like joy, peace, and contentment make perfect sense. Like, of course, God would make us to have those emotions. Those are the pleasant ones. Like, why don't we just feel these things all the time? But, you know, sadness, fear, anger. Like, God, what were you thinking when you allowed that to be like a part of our makeup? Like, why does that even enter into our whole human existence? That's a question that we, we maybe need to wrestle with. Why does God make us emotional beings with these wide swings and wide possibilities? What purpose could emotions like that possibly serve in God's kingdom? We're going to kind of look at the whole gamut of emotions as we go through this series. We're going to explore the journey into our feelings by looking at the Psalms. The Psalms were just really songs and poems and things that were written by people thousands of years ago. And they are raw and they are awesome. The Psalms are a tour of the range of human emotions written from very raw places. You know, they talked a little bit about David. David wrote a lot of the Psalms and he wrote them when he was feeling good and he wrote them when he was feeling bad and he didn't pull any punches with how he was feeling. And these songs that range from despair and hopelessness seemingly to just great joy and celebration are a part of our, the worship hymnal that our faith family has celebrated for years and years and years. They are part of the human experience, and they're all part of this worship thing. So why did these emotions kind of find their way into our worship experience? You know, these psalms will give us an insight into how God views our emotions as well, as we'll really unpack this. Part of the struggle with our emotions is that it's often not even clear-cut what we are feeling. I don't know if, like, if you experience this sometimes. <laughs> I know a lot of times, like, you know, something manifests itself as anger, and you're just kind of lashing out, but deep down, it's really maybe that you're scared, right? And you kind of don't know how to handle the fear, and you only know how to channel it in a certain way. So one of the things that we're going to be kind of challenging you to be doing as we go through this series, as we kind of unpack all these different emotions, is asking some of these questions. This is something Mark kind of provided from one of the things that he read but explore what you're feeling. You know, it's a process of discovery. Don't just settle on that first emotion. I know, like, for a long time, 
Everything to me was angry. It was the only emotion I kind of let myself feel. And I had to get underneath that to be like, where is this coming from and what is it covering? Because there's a deeper emotion. And if I'm going to actually live healthily out of that emotion, I first need to be able to like say what it is. If I don't honestly know what I'm feeling, how can I live healthily in it? You know, so name the feeling. Let's find out what it is that's beneath that and be able to name it. Acknowledge the feeling. Owning the feeling without rejecting or judging the feeling. A lot of us feel shame immediately over being angry. Or we feel shame over being fearful. And so we just want to kind of pretend like it's not there or sweep it under the rug and, say, and act like it's not there. But if we don't really learn to name it and own the fact that this is where I am today, then we're going to miss out on any process God wants to take us through in that emotion. And we need to share that with someone, what we're feeling. We need to be able to share that with someone else. Like, we need to have people that we can genuinely talk to and be like, I think I'm just scared. (laughs) How often does anybody just say that? We don't say that very often, right? But we need to be able to name what we're feeling and be able to just share that with someone honestly and have a safe place that that's received if we're going to learn how to live healthily out of our emotions. Emotions make great servants, but they are terrible masters. So we're going to kind of look at what it means for emotions to serve us in our lives and what starts to happen when emotions start to run our lives. And that's a dangerous transition, and it's something we've got to walk in really well. And to kind of kick this off, we're going to talk about a really fun emotion this morning, the emotion of sadness. Like, why is this part of our human experience? You know, and I'm excited I get to talk about it. Depression kind of runs pretty much through my family. It definitely affects a lot of different family members in very different ways. One of the main ways that it affects me is I actually really do struggle with, like, the season change. I definitely have seasonal affective disorder. And it's really kind of funny because people get so excited about the fall. And I actually, like, I have, like, a visceral, like, emotional reaction to the end of summer. It, like, really affects me, like, in a very, very, like, dangerous way. Everybody else is like, oh, it's so cool in the evenings. I'm, like, turning on a heat lamp and putting on like, you know, whatever I can to like get more vitamin D. It's like, you know, people are celebrating the change of leaves. I'm like, the world is dying and you're cheering. Like, I don't understand. Like, guys, we are headed to the abyss of winter. Can't you see it coming? Like, I'm like trying to like steer it back. Like, turn back, go back that way. But it doesn't listen to me. You know, it's, uh, it's tough. Like, but like, it really, when we get into the throes of winter, it's there's actual things that I feel like are really out of my control. There are days that I kind of wake up and it feels like a fog has descended on me and I don't really know how to operate out of that. You know, it's, like, it's hard to get out of bed sometimes. It's hard to kind of think clearly. I find myself taking naps. Like I don't, I'm not a nap guy, but like, in the, like when it gets to the middle of the winter, I feel like I just feel so lethargic that I, don't, I can't really get motivated sometimes. And that's something that I've learned, had to learn how to navigate and balance in the seasons of my life. When I hit winter, I have to know ahead of time some of these feelings are going to just come on me, and I need to know what, what that looks like to, to roll with. But sadness is, is, is built to be a part of our lives. Like, why would sadness possibly be a part of our world? Like, why would God allow that? You know, sadness comes from a lot of different places, too. You know, it can come from disappointment. We get really, just really disappointed. We had our hopes up on something, and we got really let down. It can come from a loss. A lot of us have lost someone that we love, someone close to us, and that sadness just doesn't kind of go away. It kind of hangs, right? And we feel... Like, we can't really see beyond the pain that you're in in those moments. It comes from failure. We just feel like we tried our best at something, and we feel like we failed. And what else is there to feel besides just, like, down about yourself, right? It just feels really tough. It can also come from nostalgia. A lot of times we have, we kind of look back at the way things used to be, and there's this twinge of, like, both, like, nice memory, but also this loss, this sense of, like, I've lost something from where I used to be, or my life has been diminished in some way. 
And it can also come from just literal chemical imbalance. Like we also, like sometimes it's out of our control and there's something that just affects us. Like depression can just affect us in an oppressive way. That's not even something that necessarily happened to us. It's just kind of something that we have to, that we learn to live with. So these are, like, and there's a way other, a lot of other ways that sadness can kind of impact our lives. But this is some of the ways that they start to come in. And I think our society kind of treats sadness in a couple different ways. First of all, we treat it as something that needs to be fixed. Like, right, sadness is just a brokenness that needs to immediately be fixed. And so we try to kind of, like, deal with it really quickly. Or we think sadness is something to kind of run from. Like, ignore that sadness and just kind of, like, lean into fun and try to, like, just pretend like you're not sad. Fake it till you make it. It'll come back around kind of thing. You know, and I think a lot of times we feel like it's something that needs to drown out. And, guys, this is where, like, I think addiction and, like, substance abuse starts to, and just things that like, we start to find ways out of our sadness, a way to supplement the feeling of something that takes us away from the down feeling that we have. But these are some of, like, our societal, like, approaches to sadness. I don't think as a culture we know how to deal with sadness. We just don't know how to deal with it. You know, the psalmists were not afraid to feel sad or to let God know they were feeling sad. You know, that's, I think that's one of the most interesting things that I'm, I feel blessed by that we have the psalms in our, is that they told God exactly what they were feeling, and it gives you kind of permission to say, oh, wait, God loved these psalmists, and he listens to them just roast him sometimes. <laughs> and, like, I have permission to be really honest with God. You know, I, just, I think, you know, there are 42, 150 psalms. 42 of them are individual psalms of lament, and 16 are community or national songs of lament. That is a good portion of just owning their sadness in the worship hymnal. Right, right? That is, like, absolutely amazing. Here's an example of one. This is um, this one of the songs of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? This is like the passage that I remember. I always use those first two verses, right? And then you kind of forget that there's more of it here. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Look at this. I mean, you get the sense that he's feeling lost. He's feeling nostalgia about the good old days. He's feeling all kinds of feelings. And then here is this search within him. Why, where is this coming from? Where is this deep sadness? Why are you, he's almost asking himself, in the depths of my soul, I don't even understand why I feel so crushed. But let me lay it before you as it is, God. I don't even know where it's coming from, but this is every, blah, this is all of it. <laughs> Unfettered, unsorted out, brought to the Lord. You know, so how does God relate to our sadness? Like, how does he even handle those moments, right? I think it's, this is a powerful image that we get of God telling Jeremiah how he feels. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. Feel that for a moment. Because my people are crushed, I am crushed. The Lord feels your pain, and he's in it with you. And he feels the hurt that they go through. He feels the hurt that we go through. He allows himself, think about this, the God of the universe that is above emotions if he wanted to be, allows himself to feel the hurt and the wounding that we walk through. And he it puts himself in it with us. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician? Oh yeah, I mourn and horror grips me. The Lord says, I mourn and horror grips me. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. 
This is the Lord's voice, how he feels about his people who are suffering. If only his head was a fountain, he would just pour tears out for the pain that he feels. We see it in the New Testament, too, where Jesus comes descending on Jerusalem, and he knows he's headed to the cross, and he knows that these people that he loves so desperately aren't going to follow him. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, like a hen, I want to gather you like little chicks to me, but you wouldn't listen to me. And he's overcome with emotion that the very, he's coming to save them, and they don't see it. And his heart breaks as he weeps over Jerusalem on the way towards it. Sadness is something that is hard to approach because we often deal with it when it's out of its proper order. We don't know how to deal with sadness because most of the time we're dealing with it, it's not necessarily in the place that it's supposed to be. We see every, when we're in it, a disordered sadness, when we're kind of in this place of sadness out of its proper order, we start to see everything through a lens of sadness. We start to not be able to see the good in life. We start to see everything through like that lens of just being down and sad about the life. It can hang over us for seemingly no reason. Sadness can, doesn't go through seasons. It kind of just hovers over our lives. We allow sadness to isolate us all too often. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I remember like I was going through like a really low point in college, and my friends would try to like invite me to do things, but like in my sadness, I just wanted to be alone. And what did I do when I was alone? I probably listened to Dashboard Confessional and Counting Crows and got more sad, right? Like, I mean, like, I mean, that's, honestly, that's probably what I did. And so then, like, and what does that do? It just, you feed the sadness by isolating yourself and allowing sadness to kind of run amok in your life. And there's times to feel it. Like, we need to allow ourselves to feel it, but we can also allow us to just isolate us from other people, which would balance our life. We run from it into addiction. We hide from the pain. We try to mask it by just covering it over with a little fake cover. We don't deal with the root of it. And we allow it to rule us. We deal with sadness in a disordered way most of the time, not the way we were meant to feel it. Here's the psalmist, I think, even leaning into some of those feelings. Be merciful to me, Lord. This is David. Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. He's feeling isolation. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. Right? I love that the worship song talked about his pieces being picked up back together, the voice of David. He feels like broken pottery, cast out on the street on his own. So when we're in these places, I would say that this is almost an unhealthy place for David to have reached the bottom of the pit. He's feeling isolated, broken, like it's, there's no end in sight. Like what role is that, could this sadness possibly play in our lives? What is it supposed to play in our lives? Well, first of all, it should grieve us that the world is misaligned from the kingdom of God. Here's part of why God allows us to feel sadness. Because we get a glimpse of the reality that's out there. The world is misaligned from God. It's misaligned from what the kingdom is meant to be. And he wants us to feel that on some level. This is not the world as it is meant to be and as God will make it forever one day. And in that dichotomy, in that missingness, we need to feel the weight of that the way God feels the weight of that. When he weeps at the brokenness of his people and he says, that is not what I built you for. That is not what I built you for. Loss should fill us with sadness. It should fill us with sadness when we lose a loved one because we weren't built for separation. We were built to spend eternity together. And there's a loss in that feeling of saying, why, we're apart from each other now and that doesn't feel right because it's not right. It's not what God intended when he built us as eternal beings. 
And it should break our hearts when we see suffering. It absolutely should. When we see poverty and the effects of poverty, when we see human trafficking and the horrors of that, when we see brokenness and physical form and hurt and suffering, it should absolutely break our hearts. It breaks God's heart. Because that is not the world as he intended the world to be. It is the effects of sin and brokenness in our world that has robbed us of the perfect union that we were built to live in. And we live in a broken world, and we should absolutely feel that. It's almost, in some ways, the world is so broken, how can we not be sad all the time? We almost have to kind of put blinders on to not feel the weight of that on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute basis. You know, the goal is not to avoid sadness. The goal is to hold sadness with a balanced view. And part of that balanced view, the ballast that holds us afloat is hope. Now, when I say hope, I don't mean like hope like that. I really wish upon a star that the world was better. I really wish. This is not like a, the hope you have when your team's down by six and you're you know, throwing a Hail Mary at the end of the game. Like, I just hope it works out, but I know it's not really going to. That's how we use hope in our culture too often. I hope in meaning it's really unlikely and maybe I'll hit the lottery. Like, that's not the hope that they talk about in the Bible. That's not the hope that we see from a biblical view of hope. Hope is faith, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see in Hebrews. In Hebrews 6, he goes on farther to describe hope because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul Firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Hope is anchored in the work of Jesus Christ and what he has already done on the cross to seal a victory. The battle is won and it's done. So when we talk about hope, it's not this, I really hope this works out. It's saying, I know the end of the story. And I can live in the end of the story because I know where it's going. On a very basic level, how do I deal most with seasonal defective disorder? I count the weeks on the calendar, and I say, in 16 weeks, spring will come. And you know what? Like clockwork, it is going to come. It is a done deal. Now, it might delay a couple weeks, right? (laughs) But it's coming because it's certain, because the world has been ordered by God to operate in a certain way. And he built this world to point towards eternity where sadness will be a thing of the past and everything will be restored. This is the hope that we have. It is certain that it's coming. It's coming. And so when we live in sadness, we have to say, yes, it's good to feel this emotion, and I'm in it. But I also know that there is an end to this story coming, and I know how it ends. So loss is hard and devastating, but we'll be together again. And I'm sure of it because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Pain is awful and it robs us of our joy here on earth, but it's coming to an end. Because in the scripture it says, in the kingdom of God, there will be no sadness, no tears, no pain. We know that that pain has a clock on it. Suffering has a clock on it. When we see the poverty and the brokenness of the world, we know that Jesus Christ will bring his kingdom to bear. And in his kingdom, he will lift up the lowly and set all things right. Justice will reign one day. And we can live in that confidence. Confidence and security that God will set things right is what hope is. 
His presence is promised in the ups and downs of life. This is the beautiful thing. He doesn't say, hey, suck it up. I'm going to fix it one day. I'll be back. He says, I'm weeping with you in the pain, and I'm trying to point you to where this is going. I'm here with you. I will be with you every step of this painful journey, but we're going to eternity together where this pain will be a thing of the past. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. We can't let sadness consume us for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We see the psalmist cling to hope time and time again. You know, they feel their feelings. That's one of the things I love about praying through the psalms. They feel their feelings. They let those feelings run over them in all their rawness. And then almost all the psalms, in some powerful way, hold up truth to anchor themselves in the midst of the storm. They get to the low points, and then they almost tell themselves truth in the middle of it, and they hold those two things in tension in the same psalm. Those two psalms that we read earlier, this is how they complete. This is David in his brokenness, the one who has broken pottery on the ground. He says, but I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all, on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. In the midst of my sadness, the Lord showed his love to me, and I experienced it because I was raw enough to be ready to feel it. But strong, be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. He ends it. It's his personal battle. And then he says, hey, the rest of you, feel this with me. Be strong and take heart, those who take hope in the Lord. The other son, the son of Korah, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? That's where we left off. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He is coaching himself through his pain. And that's, you know, he's going to feel it. It doesn't mean he's going to walk out of that and just feel better the next day. But he says, in the midst of the suffering, I know the hope that I have. I will remember the faithfulness of the Lord, and I will count on his faithfulness in the future. And in that, I can anchor the sadness with hope, and I can live well in this world. Sadness healed. It doesn't necessarily isn't ever going to be fully healed this side of eternity. But there's freedom to feel sadness when we know that it's not the end of our story. That's the freedom to feel sadness. I can be sad and know that it's not the end of the story. A lot of movies go through sad points before the end. It's part of the journey. We're not called to experience sadness. We are, we are not called to experience sadness, but not to live there. Sorry, I worded that wrong. We're called to experience sadness, but we're not called to live there is what I meant to say. When we're mastered by sadness, we need a reorientation from our soul. And this can happen in several different ways, this reorientation. One could be counseling and sometimes medication. Sometimes when we are literally like oppressed by depression, we need someone to really talk it through to help speak truth into our life. We need to process these things. And on times when it is a chemical imbalance, we may need medication to carry us back to a level of balance so that we can have eyes to see clearly the promises of the Lord. 
We need community and we need prayer when we're in times of sadness. The temptations to isolate yourself and just to feel alone in it. And I would say like, that's where you gotta just make a choice to say, I'm gonna choose to be with people even if I think I'm a bump on a log because I just need people. And we will go through those ups and downs together and don't worry about being a drain on someone else because they'll be the drain on you next week, right? We all go through that together. That's the part of this whole joy of doing life together. You're down and I'll pick you up because I'm gonna be down and I'm gonna need you to pick me up and we're gonna do this together. And we will pray for each other because the Lord will speak to us in the midst of our pain. Sometimes it's in that pain that we feel closest to the Lord, that falling back in his arms that the worship talked about. And we need commitment to truth. It's what the psalmist did. They felt their pain and then they spoke truth and truth and truth until they believed it. (laughs) They basically had to pray it and write it until they believed it and they could live in it and they could remind themselves that this is the ballast that holds me in the midst of my sadness. You know, properly ordered sadness allows our heart to break, but also allows the Lord to be the healer of our heart. And that's the reality. It's good that we feel those things because we are in tune with what the Lord feels, but it's also the Lord who will come and heal our hearts. It's a gift to feel deeply the pain of others. It's the beautiful picture of God saying, I am broken with you. And we can say, in God's image, my heart can break for someone else and what they go through. And that's how we really feel in it with each other. When someone says, I, I empathize with you, I'm with you, I'm hurting with you, I will carry that burden together. It's a gift to be able to walk in those things together. It's why community happens. If we were all joyful all the time, we wouldn't need each other. It's what draws us to God and, and this ability to be with God in the midst of it. It's a gift to be comforted in the midst of our pain by each other, but mostly by God, to experience the healer of our hearts. God allows us to feel pain so that he can be the one to come in and redeem and restore us. We looked him in the midst of our pain. So just a few questions to kind of leave you with as the worship team comes back up. Is sadness mastering you in any way? Have you let sadness have too much power in your life? When you're feeling low, what do you cling to? What are your go-tos when you're feeling low? Do you slip into kind of addiction to kind of escape the feeling? Do you slip into isolation? Do you just feed it with dashboard confessional? Hopefully not. It's probably Taylor Swift now, right? <laughs> Whatever. I mean, do you feed it with like just music that makes you feel more of that same thing? Which is not bad. Feel it loudly on the ride home and then point yourself to truth, right? But like, what do you cling to in the midst of when you're feeling low? And finally, what does it look like for you to allow sadness to bring you closer to people and to God? I want you to really do this. Next time you're feeling just low and you don't even know where it's coming from, you just feel down, say, God, how can I be closer to you in the midst of this? Teach me how to experience you in a deeper way because I know you're here in it with me. Ask him, invite him into those low places. He wants to be in there with you. This is a prayer Sunday. Um, so we're, about, we're gonna have a, kind of a unique Sunday here because we're going to we're gonna have some baptisms right down the street at the very end of the service. So I would say if you really wanna receive prayer, come during worship. The, the, the prayer team's gonna come out right away. And if you're feeling low, if you're feeling afflicted, if you're feeling, whatever you're feeling, if you need someone in it with you, there are people who are gonna gather and pray with you right down the hall in the sanctuary. So go, go quickly if you can this morning because we would love to celebrate together. Be sad in the room for like 10, 15 minutes and then come celebrate eternity down the street, all right? We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna hold both intention this morning. All right, so like, um, so yeah, so, and as always, if you have questions, you can text them to Mark's phone.
<laughs> I was like, I'm forgetting something. I'm forgetting something. Lord God, thank you so much that you feel these feelings and that you allow us to be made in your image. Lord, it's a privilege, but it's a burden at times, and we don't know how to walk in it well. Teach us how to navigate the sadness that we feel and what it was meant for, Lord. Teach us how to be closer to you in that, how to draw closer to each other in that. But Lord, anchor us in hope. Help us to see the true story, the full story. When we are feeling like we can't see beyond our pain, break through and show us the full story at the end, Lord. What all this means and where all this is going. Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to meet us in our sadness and to be near to us in our sadness. In Jesus' name, amen.